Pastor Chris's podcast. Well, for the last message in our series, I want to share a story from the New Testament. When two Christian leaders parted ways. The disagreement involved two heroes of the Christian faith, Paul and Barnabas. And their dispute was about another Christian named John Mark, who probably wrote the Gospel of Mark. That's what many scholars believe. Uh, that um, was the first Gospel that was written in the New Testament, and it's the second Bible of the New Testament. Um, Paul probably needs no introduction. He was one of the giants of the Christian faith. He is also known as Saul, which can be confusing sometimes in the New Testament because his name uh, in one language is Saul and in another language it is Paul, and sometimes he's referred to both ways. Um, But Paul was probably the greatest evangelist of the New Testament, perhaps the greatest evangelist of all times. Though Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples. He, uh, he didn't minister with Jesus before the crucifixion, but Paul was considered an apostle because the resurrected Christ appeared to him and converted Paul from a persecutor of Christians to an evangelist who preached Christ all over the world. And so almost half of the books in the New Testament are attributed to Paul. So he's a pretty famous guy in Christian circles. The the average person, though, probably knows less about the guy named Barnabas. Barnabas is one of the unsung heroes of the early Christian faith. The first time we hear about Barnabas is early on in the book of Acts. Barnabas sold a field that he owned and gave all of the money to the apostles for the work of God's kingdom. He was very committed to this faith and he wanted to spread the gospel all over. And he was all in, willing to sell his property and give the money for that purpose. Now, Barnabas' name, his real name was Joseph. He was from the island of Cyprus. But the the disciples, the apostles, gave him a nickname. They called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Barnabas lived up to his nickname. Barnabas is a kind of guy who was always helping out, encouraging, bringing along and mentoring younger people and helping them grow up and coaching them in the Christian faith. Uh, Barnabas is actually the guy that vouched for Paul and helped other Christians accept him. Remember, Paul didn't start out as a good guy. He started out as a villain. He was persecuting Christians. And then he had this dramatic conversion experience and he became a Christian. But when Paul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the other believers, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't trust him. They didn't believe that he'd really seen the light, so to speak. Um, And so Barnabas brought Paul to the apostles and told them how Paul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Paul. And he he told them that Paul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus Christ in Damascus. And that is why the Christian believers finally accepted Paul into their circle. And Paul stayed with them and went all over Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas worked together really well, and they were, uh, they were a great ministry team. And then the Holy Spirit 
anointed them and appointed them to go on a special mission trip together, preaching about Jesus and converting people to Christianity all through the provinces of Asia. And so uh, John Mark, who was Barnabas' nephew, also went along on this trip. Their trip was a huge success, converting many people to Christianity. Uh, it was a dangerous trip through, uh, remember at this time, hardly anybody was a Christian. So this good news was brand new to people. And a lot of people weren't too sure about it. A lot of people were like Paul used to be and were actively opposed to the Christian religion. But they were able to preach this good news and people converted, including many really important people like the governor of Paphos, which was a huge win for the Christian faith. Um, these influential people could help bring in more and more people. But something else happened on this first trip. About halfway through the trip, Barnabas's nephew, John Mark, left them and went home. The scriptures don't say why, they just say that he left and went home. But Paul and Barnabas soldiered on. They were very successful, but they also met a lot of resistance. They were chased out of one town by a mob. They had rocks thrown at them by a mob in another city so uh, fierce that they had to leave the city. They had to flee. And then in a third city, um, they actually grabbed Paul, dragged him to the edge of the city, threw rocks at him and stoned him. They thought they stoned him to death. They, he was such a, a bloody mess, unconscious, lying in the street. They thought he was dead. And that's why the mob left him there. But it turns out Paul was not dead. And um, you know, the believers came and were able to revive him, nurse him back to health. And he continued on preaching the gospel on this missionary trip. And then they returned home. They called the church together and they reported everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And Paul and Barnabas continued to be a great team going all over, telling about one of the wonderful things that Christ had done and that Christ was doing um, at, on things like this missionary trip that they went. They were good partners in ministry. But then that brings me to our scripture for today about the disagreement that was had. This comes from Acts chapter 15, and we'll be reading verses 36 through 41. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed, and he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly, since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and, all, and, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Paul and Barnabas were both good men, both deeply committed Christians, willing to put their life on the line for serving the Lord. But they had, they disagreed sharply, it says, about John Mark. Paul didn't want to take John Mark on the next trip, 
but Barnabas did. The scriptures say John Mark had deserted them on their last trip. That's the specific word that it uses. So uh, we don't know why he deserted them. Um, it could have been any number of reasons. I've been on mission trips, short-term mission trips, just a week or so long. And, you know, you're in a strange place eating strange food with strange people who don't speak your language. And sometimes just people get homesick, um, even though it's a, it's a good time and a good work. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark were engaged on a mission trip that was not a week long, but we're talking months and months of traveling. And it could just be that John Mark got homesick. It could have been that he was afraid. It could have been that he had some kind of disagreement about the way Paul or Barnabas were leading the trip. It could have just been that he was scared because he was seeing all of this resistance and he was afraid for his life and he just chickened out. We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. It just says John Mark deserted them about halfway through the trip and he went home. And this apparently was an insubordination and portrayal that Paul couldn't accept. He didn't trust John Mark anymore. Paul would not have him on his mission team. For Paul, the mission to tell people about Jesus was too important. And, he, and, it was, and, and if he was willing to put his life on the line for it, he expected everyone on his team to be just as committed. And he, it was too important to be entrusted to someone like John Mark, who got, might get tired or scared or homesick and abandon the cause. Paul would not have it. Barnabas, though, was different. He was more understanding. John Mark was his nephew, after all. And Barnabas was the kind of guy who was an encourager and a mentor. His spiritual gift was seeing the best in people and working to bring it out in them, despite failures and setbacks. Barnabas saw John Mark's potential, despite how he had failed on the last mission trip. And Barnabas was not going to give up on Mark. And so Paul and Barnabas were at odds on this and they could not come to an agreement. And so Paul and Barnabas separated. Paul chose a disciple named Silas to be his ministry partner and they went one direction. Barnabas chose Mark and they went in another direction. And the work of the Lord continued in both directions. Who was right? Who was wrong? We don't know. The scripture doesn't say. The scripture never spells it out and says, yeah, Barnabas had the right idea or Paul had the right idea. It doesn't say any of that. But we do know this. The only thing we really know is that later in life, when Paul was a much older man and he had spent years and years and years ministering in the name of the Lord, and he comes, he's, he's facing martyrdom. He's in prison for being a Christian and he feels like his life is about to be over and he writes a letter to a young man named Timothy and one of the things he says in that letter is send John Mark to me. He will be a good help in my ministry. So we don't know what happened between the time of Acts and the time Paul wrote that. A lot of things could have happened but apparently at some point Paul came to, you know, John Mark somehow regained Paul's respect and appreciation and they were reconciled in that way. 
Well, I don't know about you, but I don't like uh, arguments. I don't like fighting. I've always been the kind of person that wants everybody to get along. And if I can be uh, open with you and, and a little bit vulnerable with you this morning, and also if you'll indulge me with a little self-psychoanalysis, uh, I think the reason I don't like fighting and arguing and conflict is because it has a lot to do with my childhood. I grew up in a household where my parents fought a lot. As a young child, it was just commonplace in our household for my mom and my dad to scream at each other and yell at each other. It was, it was um, verbally violent and sometimes physically violent. I didn't know any different. I was just a little kid and I thought that's the way moms and dads were. That was our household. And it wasn't really until they separated and divorced that there was actually peace in our household. But I think that that really left a mark on me as an individual, you see. And so um, I'm today, even as an adult, uh, I'm not a kid anymore, but I still want everybody to get along. If, if I hear people, you know, arguing, I'm always the kind of guy that wants to smooth it over, okay? Even if it's just a, a minor thing, like two people say something and it's in conflict to each other, I'm going to be the guy that's going to crack a joke real fast to try to cover up the awkwardness of that conflicting moment. That's just my nature. Um, I, I, I don't, I want those disagreements to go away and to be worked out. And it's not something I think about consciously. It just is unconscious. And so I have to actually challenge myself to remember that sometimes there are honest disagreements that need to be addressed and worked out. In 48 years, I've learned, I've grown up, and I've learned that some disputes will never be resolved if you don't have the courage to talk about it and address it. And so it's important that we do that, even though my natural tendency would be to just not say. And avoiding conflict or not doing anything is a legitimate way to deal with some things sometimes, but not all the time. Sometimes you have to do something. Most of the time, working through a dispute leads you to a place of understanding and respect and actually a stronger, healthier relationship. And I found that uh, as a pastor, sometimes working with married couples who have a, a strong disagreement, uh, they feel like often their disagreement is so strong that there is no way they can go on together. But I, as an outside objective observer, can sometimes sit down with a, a, a couple that's having trouble and, and just say, hey, have you thought about this? And help them talk through it. And we will come to the end of that session or a number of sessions and they will actually realize that they do love each other. And their problem was not as big as they thought it was. And they just needed to work through it. And now that they have, they actually love each other more. And their relationship is actually stronger than it was before. That is certainly a possibility. And that does not just in a marriage, but it can take place in uh, friendships. It can be uh, an issue that comes up in an organization where there are conflicts that need to be resolved. But sometimes, sadly, there's not a resolution to be had. 
sometimes your differences are about core issues and compromise is not an option. And if you can't agree to disagree and still remain together, then the best thing may be to part company like Paul and Barnabas. Now think about those principles, those issues, and think how they might apply in practical ways to your life every day. It could be that you, there are conflicts that you have with coworkers or uh, your boss or your supervisor or even with the, the philosophy of the company for which you work. Is there a conflict that's there? Is it something that you are able to resolve and work through? If it's not something that you're able to resolve and work to, can you learn to agree to disagree and still go on and remain together with your coworkers or your employer? Sometimes that is the case as well. Or it could be that, there, that the, the disagreement is so important and, and goes to the heart of who you are to the point that it might be that you need to find another job that you just cannot work for that company anymore and be at peace with yourself and with God. The same kinds of issues could come up when you're thinking about the people that you are friends with or in your marriage or in a romantic relationship. It could even be a situation where you have a disagreement with people in your church uh, with your congregation, with your pastor, uh, with someone uh, that, that you have to work through. Is this something that I can agree to disagree upon? Or is this something that is so essential that, that we have to part ways? The United Methodist Church denomination is in the midst of some severe divisions that uh, have been brewing for generations. And what it's come down to is that one side says that they believe God wants the United Methodist Church to ordain practicing gay people as pastors and also to perform same-sex marriages. And that is something that is going to be coming in the United Methodist Church. Another side in the United Methodist Church says the Bible teaches homosexuality is contrary to God's will and that we must be faithful to Scripture. And so... After decades of arguing and trying to resolve these issues, we've come to the unfortunate conclusion that we have irreconcilable differences in our denomination. And so the UMC is splitting or will be splitting. And I have friends that are on both sides of the divide. I, I personally plan to join the Global Methodist Church as soon as it is feasible because that is the most faithful way for me forward. My calling as a minister is to be faithful to Christ as revealed in Scripture. But I also have friends and colleagues that I've worked alongside for 30 years who will stay in the UMC. We will go our separate ways, at least on this issue and in this organization, because our disagreements with one another are just too severe more severe than what Paul and Barnabas were dealing with. It breaks my heart, but unfortunately, it is necessary. And I'm sure that you know people who would disagree with you on this issue too within the church. Maybe they've even questioned you about it. Or if they haven't questioned you about it yet, they probably will at some point in the days ahead. And you will undoubtedly find 
yourself with friends or colleagues who, or maybe even family, who were formerly in the same denomination as you, but at some point in the future they are not. And I know that's sad. But I have a lesson from my garden that may give you a bit of encouragement and hope. I love garlic. Do you? Uh, garlic toast, that's wonderful. And garlic in different dishes is such a wonderful thing. And, and, and I would encourage you to try to cook with fresh garlic if you've not done so. Because there's nothing like fresh garlic. It just tastes so much better than uh, the dried garlic or even that minced garlic that you get in a jar. So we use a lot of garlic and we like to use fresh garlic. So a couple years ago, I started trying to grow garlic. And it, it's a very interesting plant to grow. Garlic has a unique growing habit. With most plants, you'll plant a seed. But with garlic, you will plant a clove, okay? So if you've held or seen a, a garlic bulb in the store, you know the inside that bulb is, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten cloves. Each individual clove can create a, an entirely new garlic plant, which will have its own bulb that grows underground. And uh, if you're growing garlic and you let it go a little bit too long, it will actually split underground and to start to divide and grow multiple shoots of garlic. So you have to harvest it before that happens. And then the next year you take that bulb and you divide it out into all the separate cloves and you'll have... So if you start with one garlic bulb today, within a few years, Dividing it, dividing it, and dividing it, you could have 100 or 200 plants of garlic, which is pretty amazing that it does that, and it tastes so good. Well, it, it, it multiplies through division. Paul and Barnabas separated, but their separation actually led to a multiplication for God's kingdom. Sometimes God works through our disagreements and divisions. What we see as division, God sees as an opportunity for multiplication. We we uh, see this right in our own church, and people have commented on it from time to time. Before the pandemic in 2019, we had one worship service at 1055. And then because of the pandemic and we were concerned about how closely we were crowding together, we said, well, one solution would be let's have two services on Sunday morning. Well, actually, we have three services because we have the early service, we have this regular service, and we also have the online service. So that's really three services. So what we've done is we have taken our one congregation and we've divided it by three. And, you know, people have remarked, and it, I can attest that it's true, sometimes we look around and we think, man, there's not as many people at church. It feels that way. And in early services, even fewer people, and it certainly feel that way too. But, but what you don't realize is that we have multiplied through our division. Statistically, we actually have more people attending worship today than we did in 2019. It feels like it's less, but because we're doing it in three services, we actually have more people attending. And, um, you know, and like with the online service, sometimes people say, well, if you, if you have people worshiping online, then it's just too easy for them. They're not going to come to church. But 
we should, some people have said you should cancel the online service so that they have to come to church. Then I say, well, what about people like David Crawford and, and Joanne, Joanne Ward? I mean, what about our shut-ins who cannot come to worship, but they can worship with us and they do worship with us online? That is awesome. And because we're doing that, we actually have people like, for instance, my mom who lives over four hours away in Hawkinsville, worships with us almost every Sunday. These are people that we couldn't reach if we didn't have an online service. So sometimes, through division, we actually multiply. And that doesn't even count the fact of, um, like all of the people who watch the recording. When I say we have more people attending worship, I'm talking about live worship. Like that only counts the people who are here as we are worshiping it right now. It doesn't even count, account for people who might watch the, service, watch the service on Wednesday. Or think about this. Somebody today might watch a worship service we had one year ago and give their life to Christ. So there's always that evergreen effect that that what we are doing right now, God is using it, not just right now, but for as long as that material is available online. God is so good, and I'm so proud of what he is doing with our church, even though sometimes it may feel a bit uncomfortable for us. But in our current split in the United Methodist Church, perhaps God will use division to multiply the work of his kingdom. I trust God to take care of how it will turn out. All I know is to do, all I know to do is to be faithful to what he's calling me to do and hope to lead our church to be faithful for what I think he wants our church to do and then trust God to work all of the rest out. Well, what about you? What division in your life might need to be addressed? What are you facing right now that God, and what is God saying to you? Let's pause for 60 seconds to listen to God's word and answer him in prayer.